0: If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6. This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series creatively titled Prayer. That way we know exactly what it is that we're talking about. And in this series, what I want to do is talk about prayer in in the way of transformative prayer. Here's what I mean by the term transformative prayer. It's not just a prayer that is interested in changing what's going on out there. It's a type of prayer that helps to begin to change what's going on in here. Transformative prayer is a part of the discipleship process. It's a part of what grows us into Christ, what what roots us deeper into the gospel and gets out that which needs to be rooted out. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what's more important, reading the Bible or prayer? And he responded with, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Good response. Prayer is the exhale after we have absorbed the scriptures after they have come in and they've started to do their work, prayer then finishes it up by deepening it in and then exhaling and hopefully us being different on the other side of it. This morning and this series, what I want to do is revisit a previous sermon I gave on prayer earlier this year. In fact, what this year is, all of our series are just revisiting uh, one-time sermons that I preach, and then we're taking a series and expounding upon the sermon. And so Earlier this year, I preached a sermon on prayer, and I use this term that prayer rips. It's relational, it's internal, it's persistent, and it's spirit-filled. And so in these four weeks, I'm going to look at each one of those letters, the R, the I, the P, the S, and go deeper into it. Uh, And then at the end of this, we're going to take two weeks and talk about corporate or collective together prayer uh, as we wrap up our our six-week series on prayer. So today, we're going to look more into this idea that prayer is relational. We're going to do that by studying Jesus's famous prayer in Matthew chapter six. He said this as a result of the question, Jesus, I guess it's not a question, more of a statement, teach us how to pray. His disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. And they, Jesus, he responded with this text. So we see in here what Jesus wanted us to know about prayer. He said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then, of course, if we jump down to the actual prayer itself, It starts, Our Father. This morning I'll look at the first four lines. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus starts off his teaching on prayer by contrasting it with what they ought not to do, which he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, we don't really want to do anything like the hypocrites. We certainly don't want to pray like the hypocrites. And he explains what the hypocritical prayer is. He says it's a public prayer. It's a posturing prayer. We can do this in both a public environment, but I think there's also a heart underneath it. It's a type of prayer that's almost trying to show off or show off in front of God. It's uh, it's a surface type of prayer. Following the breathe in and breathe out metaphor, uh, when I was working out in high school, we would go to the, the gym in, in my high school, and we would all be working out as a team, and there was one individual, he was a coach, uh, and he would be down there working out the same time as we were, and the rest of us would be working out, and you know if you have like a, a good bench press going on, and you kind of do like a right? And you you want to breathe out a little bit and and all of that. Well, this one guy, he was a strong guy, but he was, uh, when he would lift, we would all know he was lifting because it went something like this. (gasps) Like, Is that really necessary? Don't you listen to some people pray sometimes and you're like, is that really necessary? Or maybe God sometimes listening to you pray and go, is that really necessary? I mean, Planet Fitness made like, I don't know how much money they've made, but a lot on the idea that this is not necessary, right? In prayer, not the public hypocritical prayer, Jesus says, no, no, let's talk about a private or personal prayer. And this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three understandings of relational prayer and then three ways that we can posture ourselves in prayer. So, three understandings, a deeper understanding of what relational prayer is, and then some practices in how we pray. And so our first understanding of prayer, relational prayer, is that it's personal. It's personal. That's why Jesus starts off the prayer, our Father, our Father, the the, the best of all fathers, the one who loves us, who knows us, who sent his son to die for us, who adopted us into his family, who wants good things for us, who protects us and provides for us, who's watching out for you. That father, this good father, our father, it's personal. It's not just personal and how much he knows us and how much he loves us, but he says, no, the conversation is personal. And he tries to give an example of what this personal conversation looks like. And he goes, okay, go into your room be in secret, no one else around, it's just you and me, he's saying, and now let's have a real conversation, you ever have a conversation at some kind of event, or you run into somebody, and it's so on the surface, you're like, that was a waste of breath and language, It was so fake. There was nothing close to realness in it. Like, why did we even have to have it? I wonder if prayer is ever like that. God's like, this conversation is so on the surface. Why are we even having it? He says, no, go in secret, in the private place, Maybe you have a diary or a journal now, or you did when you were a kid, and you would go in, and you would you'd try to get into the most secluded place because you don't want anyone reading what you were writing about, okay? And you would write, and then there you would lay your heart out. This is personal prayer, private prayer. When we understand that prayer is personal and private with our Father, who is all of the things that I just described, then what is the posture that that can begin to produce in us? Honesty. Honesty honesty. You can then begin to have an honest conversation. All transformation begins at the point of honesty. The truth will set you free. The truth does not just mean the declarative understanding of truth. It means when you're truthful, you can begin to be set free. The truth will set you free. When you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with God on what's really going on inside, then you give God an opportunity to move. Do so you remember the type of prayer we're talking about here is not just the prayer of saying, I want something out there to change. It's the type of prayer that allows something in here to change. And it starts with honesty. Honesty. In a statement, honest prayer looks like this. Father, I am blank, or this. And the more honest you are, the better. And I would even add to it, the more descriptive you are, the better. Father, I am angry. I am jealous. I am selfish. I am Caught up in this. I am addicted to that. I am, you throw it in there, you know what it is. And then the more you go into it, and the honest you are about it, then God can begin to move. God, I am worried because at work. God, I'm worried about money because blank. God, I'm worried about my child because this. And the honest, the more honest you get and the more complete you get in your honesty, then we're talking about a real prayer. Then there's an opportunity for God to come in and say, okay, now that we know what we're talking about, I can change that. And this has to be rooted in the fact that it's personal. It has to be rooted in the fact that you trust the one that you're talking to. As I was getting ready for this sermon, it actually changed the way I understand Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And in my mind, I started saying in all my prayers, if I trust him and his path on the outcome, well, now I can be honest because I trust the one that I'm praying to. What stops this honesty? Sometimes it's we think somehow... Um, That if we're not honest with God and we saw in the garden that Adam and Eve's first response after sin was to be dishonest with God and to run and hide. And God responded by coming down into the middle of the mess. And so our own sin, our own faults, our own failures don't have to impede our honesty before him. He already knows. But when we're honest, then he can begin to move. And so, honest prayer—praying as Jesus taught us to pray—starts with understanding. It's personal in nature, and so now I can be really honest. For some of us this week, what needs to happen is a conversation where we, uh, where or a time where we read in the scriptures, and it comes in and it convicts us. And instead of just dismissing it, we say, "God, the scripture is right. I am stressed, angry, not at peace." Bitter towards my spouse. Worried so much about the future. And a lot of times we want things to change. God has given us a process for it. And this is it. So it starts with honesty. And this week, I hope you'll pray some honest prayers. Pray about that addiction. Pray about that fear. And let God step into it. It doesn't just stop there. Um, though. We can have an honest prayer with God. You can have an honest conversation with someone if it doesn't go anywhere. What do you call that? (laughs) A rant. Or like a, a, a vent. Right? And prayer's not supposed to just be this like cosmic venting. All right, I got it off my chest. Okay, because I said it, Now I must be good. No, it has to move on. And so that's why the prayer doesn't just stop with our father. He moves on. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Add something else to this relational nature, understanding of prayer. Now, I love my dad and my dad is a great guy. But what I have never done is said, my father hallowed be your name. And he often wonders why. I'll explain in a moment. I mean, imagine the ridiculousness of that. He's a good man, but I don't hallow his name. I don't reference where he lives. My father, who lives in Perrysburg. Why? And why does Jesus do it here? Because it's not just personal. There's something else. We're not just supposed to stop with an honest rant. If you're wondering, by the way, how honest can you be? Jesus in the garden. God, this great cosmic plan about the cross. Yeah, there's another way. Sign me up for that one. It's pretty honest. There's a time in the Psalms where David was praying and said, I'm so angry. Would you please kill their children? That's an honest prayer. There were rocks involved. It's brutal. You can be honest in your prayer. Now we move on, though. It's it's personal and it's also powerful. It's powerful. Why? Because it's not just a rant or events. It's we're trying to we're trying to change something. And when we say that God is powerful, what we're saying is that He's powerful to move things out there, and He is also powerful to move things in here. And so it's not just a personal prayer. It's a powerful prayer. This says, our Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to give us just a little picture of that because I think it'll help us a little bit. So I'm going to bring out a special guest here. Hannah, come on out. Right on cue. Great work. This is Hannah, everybody. She plays the piano. And I want to read Revelation 4 to you. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because Jesus said, when you pray, pray to our Father who is in heaven. And Revelation 4 is titled, The Throne in Heaven. And the connection between these two is something I don't think we're supposed to miss. Because we're praying to our Father who is in heaven. And then Revelation 4 says, let me give you a picture of what's happening in heaven. So that you understand that when you're praying to your father who is in heaven, this is what that looks like. So our father who is in heaven, the throne in heaven. John is writing, he says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. The door is open." That's what prayer is. It is an open door to go have a conversation with a personal yet powerful God who is in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Do you see God saying, come on up here and let's talk about it. At once, I was in the Spirit. How did he get up into the place of heaven? The Spirit brought him there. What spirit? The same spirit that lives in. You is what brought John into the place of heaven. We might not go there physically, but when we pray, we go there spiritually. And so the spirit brought him there and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one who the father seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne in heaven were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne in heaven came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne in heaven Heaven we're burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne in heaven, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne in heaven, on each side of the throne in heaven, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second like an ox. The third creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, that's 24 wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, who wise And is and is to come sometimes I walk into my dad's house in Perrysburg and he has a little black cat that's sitting by his chair that's why I don't hollow his name my father who is in heaven has a lion an ox an eagle and some weird dude with six wings flying around him. And that's who I pray to. That's who you pray to. Your father in heaven. It's personal and it's powerful. If Anna doesn't leave, I'm going to yell for 30 more minutes. So you're going to have to go. Thank you, Anna. Anna. See in about 20. But where does this leave us in posture? Oh, here's where it ought not to lead us. Arrogance. How dare I tell that God what to do? That one who sits on that throne. Now, where should this lead us? Humility. That's the posture of prayer then. Humility, it's honest, but it's humble because I'm praying to him, to him. The starting point of honest prayer was I am blank. What does humble prayer look like then? Like this, humble prayer is I need you to change my, whatever it is you discovered in the first prayer. And, I accept that your way is better, which is the hard part. Humble prayer then knows that God is powerful, and so he can change what's out there, and he can change what's in here. But humble prayer has to say, but I trust your ways. I trust what you want to do. I trust that your way is better. And so uh, when we're in this process of transformative prayer, then it could, like, God, I am worried but I trust that you're in control even when I don't see it. God, I am afraid of this, but I know that you will provide. God, I've been fighting this, throw it in there, whatever sin issue thing it is, for such a long time, but I know if I keep pressing in and pressing on, you can change me. And the humble prayer looks to him and says, because you're all of that and because I get to pray to you and because this is personal and because you are also powerful, then I honestly and humbly present myself before you asking you to do something in here. Change me. Transform me. Make me into who you want me to be. The prayer then has moved from the hypocrite prayer, which is just kind of talking and and laying things out and, you know, kind of grunting and whatever, to now I'm being honest because he's my father. Now I'm being humble and I'm humbled before him because he's all powerful. Even in this though, the prayer doesn't start or stop here either. Because if we allowed the prayer to stop here, then what we have is, a, is an honest prayer and a humble prayer. But we can still be afraid of the result on the other side. We can still say, God, I know what you're going to do, but, uh, but if we don't keep reading through Jesus' prayer, then we could stop at this point and go, oh, but I'm still anxious on the other side of what this might look like. Probably. Probably. Because until we move on to the next space, we might still be competing with what we want to see done over here instead of what he wants to see done over there. Which is why the prayer doesn't end there. The honest, humble prayer keeps going. The personal, powerful understanding of God keeps moving. Where does it move to? I'm in Revelation. Got to be to Matthew. Here we go. Where does it move to? It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This personal, powerful father that we pray to is also purposeful, or he has a plan. And what is his plan? His plan is his glory, his kingdom come. Or as it says earlier in the text, he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the purpose or what is the plan? It's his reward. It's what he's going to do. It's his desired outcome for it. Now, when we understand that God is personal, he is powerful, but he's also purposeful, what should that produce in our prayer life? Hope. It means we always pray in hope, just like the passage in Hebrews. We have this steadfast anchor for our soul because Christ did what he did. I always pray now in hope. And so what I can do is as I lay out my honest and my my humble prayer, I can end the humble side of it with the hope that that can't be taken because I can trust in the goodness of God. You ever have somebody in your life who goes, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And when they say, don't worry, I'll take care of it. What you do is immediately get worried because you know they won't take care of it. They're like, what does that mean? It means I need to go do it. (laughs) Not God. No, God's don't worry, I'll take care of it means don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I'll take care of it in exactly the way that fits my purpose and my plan. He knows what he's doing. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He has a purpose in it.
1: Romans 8, 28,
0: we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, his purpose. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. There's a hope in our prayer life then, a hope that can say, God, okay, please, God, this is what I want or this is who I am and I need this to change and, and so please do it and I can hope then that he will, that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete the good work in you
1: that if you're honest
0: with him in the prayer about what needs to change inside of you and you humble yourself before him, then there is hope that then you will come out the other way different. Transformative prayer. Gospel changing you type of prayer. So hopeful prayer, then what does it look like? Continuing to build on our statement, it's this. Hopeful prayer says, I acknowledge your reward is best for me and that it will be delivered Combining these all of them, prayer looks like God, I am this right now. I'm feeling this. I'm I'm experiencing this. I I know that I'm caught up in this, uh, but I acknowledge that your way is better and and I need you to change me. And I know that what you will deliver on the end is best. Now somewhere in this process, by the way, somewhere in like phase 2 and phase 3, we get to this point where we begin to fight with ourselves. We begin to fight with ourselves on, on, do I really want this process on the end to happen? Because it's one thing to, to share with somebody, hey, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really caught up in this. I've been doing this lately. I'm feeling this lately. This is where I'm at. It's one thing to speak all of that and to vent and to rant about it. It's another thing to actually want to be changed. And to actually want God to do something about it, and so as somewhere along this line, by the way, then then you have to actually something has to trigger inside of you that wants the transformation to occur, and sometimes you have to like like unwind the wants. Like you might not want to right now, but can you want to want to? And sometimes like this thing or the sin or the love or the affection of your heart is so deep that you're like 13 wants back. And so it starts with like, I want to 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 to change. And so you just start all the way back in wanton land over here. You know, God, here's where I'm at right now. And then God like slowly starts like a yo-yo, which I could never do, winding you up. And somewhere, by the way, along the, along the line as you keep getting, it, it actually gets a little bit harder every step. Because when you're here now, you're like three wants away, and you're like, "Oh no, if I move two more wants, I might actually have to change." That idol that I've been worshiping for so long. That sin that has been so close to me a desire that rivals God, I'm like one want away from actually letting him change it. And then, then the heart will start to go, No, 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 don't do that. Unwind a little bit. Unwind a little bit. Because if you cross this one, the desires of your heart might change. The actions of your life might change. The way you treat others might change. The way you handle things might change. Why do they call it hypocrites? Why did he he label them as hypocrites in their prayer? Why? Because they never actually changed as a result. They said they wanted these things of God, but they didn't actually ever want to change. What is hypocritical prayer? It's any prayer that you begin, but you don't actually ever think it's gonna lead to your transformation. What is gospel prayer? Gospel prayer is when you begin to walk down the want-to path and you realize on the other side of this, I'm gonna have to lay some things down. I'm gonna actually have to be different when I get there. I'm gonna have to love this world less. I'm gonna have to hate that sin more. I'm going to have to get over that thing. I'm going to have to forgive that person. I'm going to have to surrender that right, whatever it is. Honest, humble, hopeful prayer, though, the hope side of it is what, even when I don't see it on this side, that it says your Father will reward you, that that reward is actually good for you and is actually best for you. Let me sum all this up in a statement, a statement that might be helpful now as you begin to pray, and we're going to practice this kind of prayer at our end today. By the way, some of you got excited because you think I'm about done. I'm not. Here's the statement. Father in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is best. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is best. Now, I just want to warn everybody right now, give a little public service announcement right here, that what we're transitioning into right now in our prayer time right here, what we're transitioning is, this is the, this is the mark, this is the line of demarcation. This is the moment where if you step over this and you begin to pray like a disciple instead of a hypocrite, that the only thing out into your future is carrying the cross and it's change. How do I know that? Because you ain't perfect. That if you begin to pray like this, then the transition that's being made when you hop over that line is, God, I actually do want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple so much, regardless of what it costs me, that I'm going to start actually praying my way into it. Sometimes it's, it's fun. This is the whole breathe in, breathe out. Why? Because we'll read the scriptures and we'll breathe in and it's like... Oh. And we like, like, just I just want to keep breathing in, but I don't actually want to go, whew. Like, because in that moment, then, like, I actually have to change. So sometimes it's like, I can hear Scripture taught, and I'll let the Bible be taught, and I'll, I'll do that. But what I'll do is I'll do real Bible study and real Bible reading, but I'll do hypocritical prayer because I can bring this in. But if I don't let the prayer part absorb my way through it, then I don't actually have to change. But I can feel better because I talked about it. I write about it, and then we had a little discussion about it, but if I don't actually go through the hard work of praying through it, well, then I can stay the same. I can keep sinning the same way. I can keep living the same way. I can keep doing the same things, and I don't have to change. It's at this moment when you breathe it in, the scriptures, that's why we did Bible first, when you breathe it in, and then you breathe it out, you're saying, okay, God, whoo, now I'm open. I'm open you you changing me now. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is best. Change me however you want to change me. Father, Father, the one who's in heaven, personal private conversation that you're happening and is happening in your own heart and soul father the one who protects you the one who loves you the one who provides for you the one who you can always trust the one who is giving you assurance steadfast anchor for your soul that father in your in your because i'm tired of my own strength and i'm tired of my own wisdom and i'm tired of trying to change on my own because it always gets me back to the exact same place or even worse when i try to do it on my own i'm not worried about anyone else's strength and wisdom or what anyone else is saying father in your infinite unparalleled, unequivocal. No one can match it. It is above all things in your sovereignty, in your infinite strength, like forming the world, like winning every battle, like conquering death in your infinite strength and wisdom in the plan that you have had from the beginning, how you see all things. When I see pretty much nothing. When I saw, as the first song said, the cross and thought it's all over, you saw the tomb three days later and knew that it was all beginning in your infinite strength and wisdom. You do the implied you. It's my favorite English term. Do you do why? Because I can't do I haven't been able to change myself. I haven't been able to bring the victory that I wanted. I haven't been able to do everything that I thought I could do. So you do it. You do it, God, because I can't. You do it because if, I, if you don't, no one ever will. So Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, you do what is best. Now that's a prayer. God, I'm this. And in all of your power and wisdom, you do. Now, how is he going to do? If it involves transforming you, then he's going to work his way in and he's going to start ripping things out. He's going to start moving things around. He's going to start convicting and challenging. He's going to do what is best. Now, maybe you're like, okay, that word best, well, what does that mean? Well, thanks for asking. Here's what I mean. Best means his glory and your good. Let me throw that back into the statement. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is for your glory and my good. Read it again. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is for your glory and my good. Now, prayer has begun to change. Prayer has begun to change because all of a sudden, instead of saying, God, uh, by the way, uh, here it's me again, and, and we need to talk about something, okay, God, I need this on the other side. Now I'm over here. I'm being honest. I'm humbled because he's better. I'm hopeful because I know that you're going to do what is good. But I've changed my prayer life to say, you do what is best for your glory and my good. And all of a sudden, when our prayer at the end of it is about his glory instead of our glory, it changes the process of our prayers. And it even changes how we pray about certain things. It helps us understand Paul and some of his prayers a little bit better. See, this then, guys, is when prayer actually gets really tough. This is how Jesus could say in the garden, not my will, but your will be done, even though I know now what I'm going to have to face. This is the person who can be given the terminal illness and every desire in their heart is for their healing and they can say but God if it not be on this earth for your glory. And my good. This is the prayer that can say I hate this circumstance it's horrible it feels like i'm in the pit of hell it's it's miserable i want out of it i want out of it i want out of it you know how many times i've prayed god change my circumstance only for god to send back i'm not interested in changing your circumstance i'm interested in changing you and i'm knocking on the door Change it, God. Change it, God. Change it, God. And no one's answering because I was knocking on the wrong door. No one's home. Then you slide over to the right door that says, God, instead of changing the circumstance, would you change me? He opens up the door and he goes, step right in. Put on a helmet. It's going to get tough. Whether it's the enemy or one of his best weapons, he's sending something. <laughs> Why is the armor of God tied to prayer? Because it's easy? <laughs> no, nope. Because you're going to need it. And then you're stepping into prayer. And all of a sudden, instead of it being some boastful idea of what you want to see on the other end, then prayer its God, I am. I'm this. And I need your power to change. And I know it's going to hurt along the way. But I know that your reward will end up being for your glory. And it'll be what is best even for me you might ask, what do you mean for your good? Well, thank you. Here's what I mean by your good. The gospel growing in you and moving out to your sphere of influence or the world. The gospel growing in you and moving out to your sphere of influence. Now we see The purpose, your kingdom come, your will be done. What was it? What's his kingdom come? What's his will be done? The gospel changing you and changing what's out there. That's what. That's his kingdom come. That's his will be done. Let me tell you what the answer to the prayer, by the way, will never be. You will never walk through this whole process and the answer to the prayer be sin. You will never walk through this process and the answer to the prayer be something that contradicts the scripture. You will never walk through this process. Not never. Most of the time, when you walk through the process, the end result will be something that costs. And even hurts a little bit in the right ways. Because you found at that point the place where your fleshly desire is still clinging on. God wants to release you from it. So then the statement looks like this. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom... Do, you do, what is for your glory and for the gospel growing in me and moving out to the world. And then this when people pray this you begin to look in at their life and go i don't know how you did it i don't know how you're enduring i don't know how you haven't given up but i've seen you walking through the process and like all the way god's power is over it and it's probably not how you thought it would look but now look how different you are and look how the gospel is on the move and back here. You and I tend to pray for something. And if we got it, we'd stay the same and the gospel wouldn't go anywhere. But because it's his plan and it's his kingdom, when we go through it, we get to the other side and we go, yeah, wow, and this is way better. And yeah, wow, look what you're doing. So who wants to pray? Who wants to pray? Who wants to breathe out? Somebody said to me the other day, they said, you know, one of the things I've noticed about you, I was like, oh boy, is you're really good at setting expectations up front. And they're like, how did you get good at that? And I was like, by failing a lot (laughs) and disappointing people then a lot. I would love to tell you that prayer is an easy, cute process that ends with whatever it is that your little heart desired over here. But then I'd be a failure at my job and the one thing that I've been called to do which is to preach truth but I will tell you that if you will walk through this process your father who sees in secret will reward you will reward you rewards are good And he's good. The process is hard. The reward is awesome. It's awesome. Psalm 126, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who do the hard work will come out on the other end, and it will be immeasurably more than you could have ever asked or imagined, and this is the process. Let's pray. You guys get to sit, so I'm going to sit too, Father. We approach you now in prayer. Up in heaven, your Holy Spirit brings us there. Maybe even just take a second and try to picture that scene again from Revelation 4. The backdrop of heaven is in a piano. It's four voices crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And so with that as the background of our prayer right now, we pray. Start with honesty. Honesty. Be as honest as you can. What's he calling to change? Father, for some of us, it hits us so quickly because it's the thing that we've been avoiding for so long, (laughs) or it's the weight that's ever present in the front of our minds. Father, in humility, we acknowledge that your way is better. Take a moment and do that in your own words. Father, there might be some in here who are deep in want to land. There are a few layers back. Would you help them to move forward today? To want to abandon that fear, that worry, that sin. To want to abandon that love that rivals their love for you. Now lift up hope. Anchor yourself in knowing that the best has already happened. He secured your salvation. Anchor yourself in the reward on the other end. That he will do in his infinite strength and wisdom what is best. For his glory and your good. And so pray with humble, hopeful confidence. And now, Father, we end in a time of collective prayer. I pray freedom for those struggling in sin. I pray a release from fear and worry that is crippling. I pray restoration for every relationship that has gone astray. I pray release of bitterness and the ability to forgive. pray that you would uproot the idols of the heart. Pray for the uncertain future that leaves us wondering and doubting. Help us to draw confidence in your plan and purposes. Father, I think of our verse from, from Easter Sunday forgetting lies behind, we press on to the upward call of Christ. Becoming more like Jesus. Help us to leave behind that which ought not to be carried in action, in thought, in love. Let's leave behind that what ought to be left behind. And Father, deepen then your gospel in us. We want to be disciples, followers of you and your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.